Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. I'm so excited today to share this episode with you. It's an interview with me this time. It's all about my new book, Disconnected, which is out today, which is January the 13th, 2022. So it's out on bookshop shelves and available online as from today. And to celebrate, I wanted to share this episode with you. I did an in-person event at Book Bar in London, which is a brilliant independent bookstore that I really recommend you visiting if you're ever in the area. And I was interviewed by the founder of the bookstore, Chrissy Ryan. It felt amazing to be back in person with people again after living on Zoom for so long. And we discussed so many themes in the book. It was a really great conversation. We spoke about how to unplug without going cold turkey, why I don't believe in guilt trips around tech or intense digital detoxes, and why I think there's a better way to create a healthy distance with our phones. We discuss our internet selves, how to stay true to who we really are online, what an e-personality is, how to slowly step away from society's expectations and productivity obsession, and how to realise when your devices are making you anxious. And there's loads of prompts in there on how to create space for yourself again. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. I loved it. I am so excited to bring the book out. If you'd like to buy it, it's available in hardback, audio and ebook, and I've left the links below in the show notes. So I hope you enjoy this one. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for all your support. And I hope you enjoy the book. Thank you everyone for coming. It is the biggest delight to have our first event of 2022. Woo! Uh, and to have you all here in the bookshop, um, drinking wine and being back to doing what we're doing after a little Christmas break. Um, It's actually the biggest honour to welcome you, Emma, um, because for many reasons, um, but I know Emma's been championing from afar uh, since we opened in April, uh, which feels like it feels like so much longer than that um, because so much has happened but it's such a joy to finally have you here in person and celebrate as an interviewer herself um, tonight Emma's on the other side of the conversation which I'm very nervous about um, and we'll be I'm nervous too I normally ask her questions (laughs) (laughs) Ah. Um, as we'll be discussing her new book it's a book about the internet and our relationship with it the excitement around the book has been so powerful that on the day that Disconnected was announced, it caused entire world blackout on the internet. That is true, isn't it? The, the, I mean, it didn't cause it, but or maybe it, it did. Like, can I use this weird <laughs> cultural moment to link to bookshop.org? That would be weird. But um, it was, yeah, it was interesting. It was really funny. Like it, it was, the, do, you, do you remember? It was like October or November or something and the whole world, the, the internet just 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 stopped. And and, you, and in that morning, Disconnected had been announced and it was like, this is this this is the world's most uh, sort of sophisticated publicity stunt. Um. Yeah, I think I texted Vero actually, where are you? And I was like, was that a guerrilla marketing campaign from you? I would be really impressed. <laughs> well, it is a joy to have you here. Um, and we will be talking all about the internet um, and our relationship with it throughout the evening. Um, yes. So I, when I first was reading Disconnected, I was expecting, even though I know your work and I know it would never be sort of uh, a rage against you know the kind of the world or or anything like that I was expecting it to be a bit of like a oh this is an anti-internet book this is a book about you know let's all get off our screens and let's get outside and and which is which is maybe sounds like that's probably a lazy way of thinking from me because of course it's going to be more nuanced than that 
but it's actually really, really positive about the internet. It's about changing our relationship with the internet. What was it? Was that always the starting point for it? Yes, definitely. And I'm a big fan of nuance and I like to try and get that across in my books because seemingly we can't get that across anywhere else, especially on the internet. So yeah, it's definitely not an anti-internet book at all. And also... So when I worked in magazines, I remember there was one year in maybe 2015 when the editor of Glamour at the time banned any feature on digital detox because it had just been written about to death. Everyone was like, I can't, I can't cope with another feature on like unplug for two weeks and (laughs) put your phone in a drawer and be your best self. It was like, but these apps have made us quite addicted. Our self-worth and our work and our personal life and our everything and during the pandemic that was even more so is on the on this phone how can we just then go and like stay in a cabin by ourselves for a month when a lot of us have friends that might need us or elderly parents or kids and so I just thought okay what is the answer I don't have it necessarily in the book by the way it's like looking at this and asking questions and giving prompts but how do we live a happier life with the internet, which is amazing. And I wrote a book called Control Alt Delete mm. in 2016, very giddy about the internet. Like that book is so, I mean, I'm 25 and I'm like, the internet, I can earn money from home. Like I just absolutely <laughs> love it. And that's almost too far the other way because there were things I didn't really discuss in that book. And then this one I feel like is in the middle. It's saying, okay, we can't do a digital detox maybe, but maybe we can do smaller things in the day to make us feel better. Yeah. And I think that's it. It's the whole book, as you say, is about nuance, whether that's actually how we're using the internet online and um, our relationships with other people. Um, So it goes kind of from not just saying this is a, you know, this is not just about kind of addiction or anything like that. It's not about that. It's about how can we have a relationship with something that we already have a relationship with and make that better? Yes, definitely. Because there were loads of studies that came out during the pandemic of people who were falling out with their friends over WhatsApp because we weren't seeing each other's faces. We weren't saying things in a tone of voice that people understood. There was stuff in there about how people thought their friends were annoying on social media, like so-and-so is posting about her business too much again or whatever, <laughs> and or she's not herself on the internet or she's really annoying on Twitter. You know, it was really funny, all these polls around people and friendships. And I just thought, okay, we're sort of our third self on the internet. And I did this TEDx talk like five years ago, which please don't go and watch on YouTube, about how we have a virtual self now and how we had to sort of look that in the eye a bit more during the pandemic. It's just very strange to be this digital self when we're not seeing each other in person. So I thought it was the perfect time to write the book and get comfortable with the nuance because I feel like we've spoken about this stuff before. Yeah. But how do we have a bit more of a deep chat about it? Yes. No. And that's, again, that's, that's what I really loved about the book is that it, it's a, it's about it's about interrogating your own relationship and it's about taking accountability because exactly. that's the other thing is I really don't like those sort of like manifest your dreams overnight books or anything that's easy I'm just like why is that self-help book saying that I can change my life in three easy steps I don't think we can but what we can do is look at our lives and sort of make smaller changes and that's really what the book is saying and yeah, like looking at how much we're influenced without even realising. Yeah. It got to the point in the pandemic where all my books are recommended by Amazon. 
and all yeah, my Spotify playlist like knew me really well, like creepily well, which is good and bad. And I was buying clothes because bloggers were recommending them to me. And I was like, what would I actually, you know, where is my taste? Where is my, where are my opinions? Yeah. So that's, that's why it's called disconnected as well. Cause it's like, we can disconnect and actually then really connect when we want to. Yes. It's about making the internet an intentional space yes. rather than somewhere that you just slide into while you've, you know, while you're wait, I don't know, waiting for the bus or something or, you know, sort of scrolling through Instagram as we all do while we're actually half having conversation with someone. I mean, I think that has been for me a really bad part of like the last two years is that now I actually, uh, yeah, I, I, I will be like having a conversation and maybe not with someone that I've, I'm meeting with co- up for coffee or something, but with someone that I see all the time, you will just be scrolling through something at the same time. It's like our mind is in 12 places at once. I know. I've, I, I realized I hit that wall where I think I put, I think I was microwaving something for like 30 seconds and needed to look at my phone. I was like, right, this is where we are. Yeah. Great. It's when you feel that craving and you go, yeah, this is, this is now something that is actually beyond me. Yeah. There was a really good documentary on the BBC recently with David Baddiel. And it was all about, you're literally going to into fight or flight mode when you see a troll comment or a weird comment that you don't like, or the BBC homepage every single day for the past two years. Like our body doesn't know we're looking at a screen. They think we're in danger. Our brain thinks we're in danger. So that's why, yeah, it is about putting your phone down and breathing for 10 minutes. It kind of works when you just... You're aware of your surroundings. You're aware that you're glazed over. Even that can get you out of it sometimes. Yeah, it's a very hard separation to make, but it's good to acknowledge that that's a separation that you need to make. It's not saying, do you know what, ban the internet, ban, you know, ban your phone, get a Nokia brick and play Snake if you want to. You know, it's it, which to be fair, I wish I could still do that because that was great. During the pandemic, though, that would have been really bleak, wouldn't it? We've only got Snake. <laughs> That'd be awful. Really good at it. <laughs> Those snakes have been very long. Uh, <laughs> um, and what's your? I mean, we've spoken a little bit about this already, but what's your? What? How would you describe your relationship with the internet? Oh, that's a really good question. I think it's changing, and I feel like a lot of my friends, not just in this industry, because I'm very aware that my my work is kind of online, and but I think it just sounds really cliche, but I think as I get older, I don't need as much validation. I don't need my life to be witnessed in the way I needed it to be witnessed in my 20s. Like I feel like a different person to when I was in my 20s. It was very, what's my LinkedIn looking like? And I've deleted my LinkedIn now. So that's um, a niche example. But I suppose, yeah, I'm just not so interested in the outer facade of it all now, I think. I actually got a life coach during the pandemic, which is extremely cliche. But we were talking about how I wanted to go from kind of shiny to just more snuggly. Um, that's that's the words we used. It was more like, I don't want people to feel like we're all just parading our wares around all the time or showing our accolades. It, it becomes very dull very quickly when you're just kind of showing off basically yes. all the time. Um, but we all do it and I still do it now. Um, it's a human nature thing to kind of, especially when you're, you're in your four walls and you, you know, got a new bag or something, you probably want to show people on the internet for some reason. We want to, but actually... A lot of it can be more private now. And actually in the book, I talk about how I've got two Instagram accounts. One is my public kind of worky one. 
and one is my private one. I've got like a hundred people in there who are my friends and family. And it's just really interesting to observe how differently I use them. Yeah. How, how differently do you use them? Uh, really differently. I mean, it's like two different people, weirdly. Um, but I think that's okay. I think we can make peace with having different sides of ourselves. Yes. Yeah, I think I think we can use social media for different things. And we can have a business account. We can have a private account. Some people here might disagree. You might want everything in one place and just that to be you. But for me, it really helped. And not everything has to be shared to everyone all the time. Um, a lot of it's very boring as well. Yeah, we're very yeah. boring online sometimes, aren't we? Yes, and I think, and I think it, we've because, and also the pandemic. Not to kind of bang on about that, but the pandemic has definitely meant that there was a time where it was okay to post your lasagna because that was all you were doing. Like you were making a lasagna on a on a Saturday night, you know, um, and that was and that was fine and great, and that was what you were doing because that was all you could do. And so then when you when we've kind of come out of that a bit, it's like, oh, oh, I can. Yeah. Like I don't need to post about lasagna anymore. Um, yeah. But what's really sweet about that is on my private account, all my family would be like, yay, lasagna. Yes. Well, well done. <laughs> we love you. Um, you know, that, that's really nice. And actually in the book, I did a poll with asking people what they missed, what they missed from the Internet from 10 years ago. One of, and one of the things was that that sort of just really innocent way we used the internet mm. and it was like here's my breakfast and everyone's like cool um and then also uh using twitter to actually meet up with people that was a huge one twitter when it was first used was was a tool to be like we're going to be at the pub in 10 minutes want to meet me there whereas now it's not that at all it's no. just very what's on there stays on there and then turns into a twitter fight and then someone gets cancelled it was actually used in a really nice way at the beginning and even 10 years ago i didn't have email on my phone in at my job it was like switching off the old monitor and then home you go and that's not the way it is now yeah and I think that's it it's the fact that we have so much integration with the our offline selves and online selves both in terms of what we're actually posting but also just in terms of the functions of our phone like having google maps you know I bet you 90% of you went on to city mapper to get here tonight actually what's great about the book is that it isn't just about social media it's about all the other stuff around the internet as well and how the internet has become a sort of an extra limb really there's some really interesting conversations to be had about what you do and how you set yourself apart in potentially a negative way by choosing not to have uh, a smartphone that has all the functions that we all have, it becomes challenging for you, more challenging for you to do because you can't get a London A to Z map so easily yeah, exactly. anymore. You can't get an Atlas yeah. map out, which I used to do. My dad used to give me an Atlas yeah. when I was going to Bristol from Exeter <laughs> or something. I was like, this is a world Atlas. Yeah. I think I'll be fine. Um, but and also yeah. no saying, let's do that. Of course, that, yes. and that's not what the book is about at no, all. No, no, but, but we can talk about it because it's, it's, it is relatively new. The fact that millennials can say when they're old and wrinkly that they were there when the phone was invented, or well, not the phone was invented, but a smartphone was. Yeah. I think we're allowed to kind of poke at it and ask for more and ask for a better relationship with it there's a lot in there about how I don't think social media apps do enough to protect us I think it's really scary the amount of stuff that can get sent to especially women especially women of color especially trans people like it's really not safe it's not safe space for a lot of people and so really it's looking at that and and it's it's kind of in its infancy still and so I don't know. We don't have to accept it for what no. it is. We can hopefully suggest a better world for it. Yeah, and we and we wouldn't let anything go so unregulated 
sort of we wouldn't let a government not let not regulate things in the way the internet isn't regulated but that is because we do forget that it's so young and and it's a very easy thing for to kind of get swept away because it's so fast moving you talk about the snippety nature of social media um and how 280 characters doesn't allow for any nuance is that, that that's a massive paraphrase of quite an important part of the book um but do you think that that's the reason that social media has become so aggressive because you can't structure a nuanced argument in 280 characters well it's just all getting shorter so back in the day we, you would have a pen pal on emails or you or blogs were huge and you'd have a blog network and as something I really miss from from back in the day is kind of sharing blogs with each other. Everything was quite long form, and we were used to the radio. Like everything, like we could explain and interact. I think a bit better now. Yeah, it's just getting shorter and shorter. And I, you know, I talk in the book about, and this was another study that people feel very disconnected because we think an emoji is communication yeah. when it's not. Like if you're going through something and then someone just puts like a fire emoji, it's like. You can't get anything from that. That's not communicating. That's like, if you got some words, please. I need them right now kind of thing. So I think it, it, Twitter is the worst place to have a conversation. I've now made peace with that. I won't have debates on Twitter. Mm. I actually, during the pandemic, had a few Google Hangouts with people who we disagreed or, on something. It wasn't a big deal. And they sort of DM'd me and then we were like chatting and then we had a Google Hangout. And this was someone who I, I knew was probably quite a good person. It was just I disagreed with the things they were saying. And it was amazing. It felt really rebellious. It was like, oh, I'm taking it offline and having a chat with you. Mm. And I know that's a really hard thing to do. And I know a lot of people probably don't have time to do that. But I'm putting it out there as something that is quite fun to do. Well, and and I no, and I agree. I think that's it. It's it's about it's about saying, look, this is actually quite a complicated topic, whatever it might be. And we need to go into this a bit deeper. If we're going to have the conversation, let's have the conversation. Let's not just shout at each other. And how much do you want to protect your mental health? Because again, back to the kind of physical reaction thing, you know, whenever you get into an argument like that, it is really stressful because you're not even getting into an argument with someone face to face. You're doing it both in different houses. Mm. It's the worst thing. It's it's awful. It's really, really like a horrible feeling that you get from it. So I think you can choose not to engage like that as well. Yeah. I think people are leaving Twitter for that reason. Also the founder of Twitter like lives on a hill and, and meditates outside in, in, a, in a sarong. And I'm like, <laughs> he doesn't care about any of us. Like yeah. it's, it's ridiculous the amount of power we give that platform. I still love it because a lot of writers use it. When you have a little one-liner, when you're just walking around, because I tried to leave Twitter for a bit and I couldn't, because I mean, no one cares about my one-liners, but I wanted to put them out we there. We care about um, And I know comedians like test their jokes on there and stuff, and it can be a really creative platform. I actually got the idea for Olive from a, twi a tweet. Um, really? My own tweet. Don't worry. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't steal someone's tweet. Um, but I said something like, um, you know, I'm really interested in talking to more child-free women. Are you out there? If you are get in touch and I got so many DMs I got like f hundreds in in the space of a few minutes and I knew that had to be something I knew it had to be a novel um and that's great well because it's so much less curated than something like Instagram which Instagram's entire function at least uh, yeah up until this point has been to like to kind of curate rather rather than do what we used to do on Facebook which was just blast everyone with 300 photos um of our like night out and that's something that you also talk about is how the internet is this incredible community space. 
How do you think that we can sort of, the internet is something that we, we talk all the time about how social media makes us feel more alone. How do we return to that point where we go, actually, yes, I can, I can, I can actually feel much less lonely because of this. What, what are the things are the most helpful ways to reconnect with the internet in a positive way? So the, the main thing is to be active again and not passive. So sit down and actually look at what you're doing, how you're using it and remind yourself what would make you happy or what you would want to do with it. Um, I know Natasha Lunn, actually, who wrote Conversations on Love, wrote something recently about how she started a WhatsApp group with some people she barely knew, but it was all about Taylor Swift and how much they love Taylor Swift. That article. And it's an amazing oh. article because she's just saying... I don't really like being on my phone. I'm probably muting loads of other things, but I've actively started this group and it brings her a lot of joy. And mm. I think that's really what I mean by starting a community. It can be tiny, it can be three people and you can reach out to people and meet up. And I just think we sometimes, yeah, we act very passively with it and we're scrolling, scrolling, but actually when do we actually write down, okay, I want to reach out to these five people and do something. Yes, yes, exactly. That that actually, instead of waiting to be connected with, being the one that that connects definitely and also getting offline i there's some prompts in there about how we can you know i got a postcard from someone the other day who i'd met online and we'd become friends and i've actually only met her a handful of times but and then i got this postcard and and, and it's it sounds so silly that, that that can be such a big deal but it was really nice so in the book it's like pick five people who you want to reach out to and send them something mm. and some of it's really simple like I, I'm not trying to change the world necessarily with some of the prompts but they really really helped me and especially during the pandemic kind of feeling more nostalgic maybe writing down songs that you used to like from the past or going into some google hole about something that you used to love when you were younger like all these things we could do with the internet but I feel like yeah we're falling into the trap of it taking us where it wants to take us yeah down the rabbit hole of the algorithm taking us to the ASOS homepage again yeah when actually there are just so many things that we could do Also, there was a study that I included in the book, I think from Expedia, that said that most people book a holiday now based on the Instagram photo they're going to get, like the one Instagram photo they're going to get. And um, actually, I remember reading a piece as well in the British Airways magazine, and it was like there was this one pool in Morocco, and everyone would just get on the flight, go to that hotel, take the photo of the pool, just stay for the one night, take all their photos by this one pool, and then kind of go somewhere else and, and eke out their photo shoot. And I just thought, oh, I really want to do the opposite of that. <laughs> you know, I, I would go, I've been going on these solo trips recently and sort of sharing my learnings of being alone. Um, but going somewhere that I really haven't researched that much. I mean, obviously, I want it to be safe and, you know, you want it to be what you what you hope. But, what you know, let's just have a bit of a random experience again. Yeah, there's currently a place. I think it's in, oh, is it Cyprus or like? Mallorca or somewhere like that an island somewhere um in the Mediterranean and I feel like there's just this one restaurant that's like on the and it is exactly it is exactly that it's crazy that and I keep there was a period over the summer when people were allowed to go and fly to places again and it was and it was like I was like why is everyone I know it's like <laughs> like beachside cafe like it's so random but, but that's and it, it, I'd never really thought of it that way that it's just because we're all influencing each other yeah I would just photoshop it in <laughs> be like yeah I'm here it's really great well that is the other thing as well is we can lie on the internet 
It just reminds me of that app on Instagram that was that put makeup on you. Yeah. Only done it once, don't worry. <laughs> you also explore the positive side of influencers. There's a really great statistic that you talk about that something like 84% of people don't like traditional marketing. That's something that I think is the, the right stat is in the book. Um, and 56% of people would find that the recommendations coming from celebrities online, i.e. influencers, they are more likely to take that recommendation. And I thought that was fascinating because it's true, but I just do feel like I'm being advertised to on Instagram all the time. How do you shake that habit? And what is it about influencer culture that we're kind of obsessed with? Well, the subtitle of the book is How to Stay Human in an Online World. And I wanted to include influencers because some of the statistics like that one really interested me. But the other one that interested me was the fact that a lot of influencers have bot followers and a lot of companies pay for marketing and a lot of it is bots. And I thought that's really interesting because half the time we're being led down a path when actually it's kind of smoke and mirrors. Like it's not actually popular it's it's been made to look popular so it's like just peeling back that layer of just having a little bit of an awareness of that like oh suddenly this is popular hmm who's paying for that to be popular and Mm. what's going on there but also yeah I included the positive side there's a lot of influencers that aren't traditionally marketing things to you they're actually trying to influence you in a good way so I include a lot of that in the book for me I quite like it when people are obviously selling me something yes like I want to be I want it to be really obvious, like, hi, I make money from from selling this product. Here it is. I really like it. What I don't like is the sneaky advertising mm. when it's like in the tiny weeny small print and you are led to believe it's something organic when it's not. Um, but I think they're cracking down on that. So that's good. Yes. Well, and that is something that's beginning to be regulated because it's to do with the advertising authorities and all that kind of thing, which actually are need to be heavily regulated legally. So I think that is a really positive thing. And that will probably have also come from influencers influencing that change so yeah, yeah. I, in the same way I suppose that we're we're influenced in so many ways by conversations we have with friends or things we see on the news or whatever it might be it's exactly the same online it just depends on how you curate your feed I yeah. suppose but I include in the book some emails that I received from um, <laughs> yeah. Bob or someone being like we we notice you're doing a great job on Instagram and for $50, we can get you a million views on that video you've just posted. And I'll obviously like, this is gross. Yeah. But, but I think some people would, I think some people are buying that. Yeah. Oh, and I think, I think they're like, oh, that's great. It's a great deal. $50. Um, so it's, it's happening. And I've actually got a folder on my emails and I, I put some of them in the book of all the emails I get, all the spammy emails. It's like, I get like 10 a day with people trying to sell something, trying to sell, sell this influence, sell the idea of you having more followers and being more authoritative or being more popular. And, oh, I'm just going the other way. Like Mm. I'd rather, I'd literally rather have, I'd rather do this event with real people and have a nice time than like parade around like a fake weird following. Yeah, yes. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is that I think the authentic things, again, a word that's just massively overused, but those kind of real events and real things that you do, then that get shared online, that's, that's great, because that's a real thing that you've enjoyed. What I learned from reading Disconnected is that it's about taking a step back and actually thinking about your intention. Um, what is it that you want to get out of it? Is it that you want to get the do- those dopamine hits from those likes? Or is it that you actually want the real kind of hit of actually having a lovely conversation with someone that you've not spoken to for a long time? That's a much more real thing than the, than the like count. 
And that's something you talk about really well, I think. And I know it's been done to death, but the sort of Marie Kondo thing of does it make you feel good? I think now is a good time to have a little cleanup because I really have and I don't dread going on the internet. I actually love it. I yeah. I've really turned my relationship around with my phone and through the prompts in the book, that's kind of why I share, share them because I'm like, they have worked for me anyway. Um, really enjoy what I look at because we can choose and we can mute and we can block and we can unfollow and we can question why we feel a certain way. And a lot of the time, it's nothing to do with the other person. It's absolutely nothing. It's like we're triggered by something. Mm. Just own own up to it. We're, we're jealous or we're we're feeling insecure or we're tired or we're hungry or we're lonely or or it's damaging. We don't want to follow it, but just sort of move away from it or change. You can change it. Yes. We all have such an unhealthy relationship with the internet because we've let it be something we didn't think about. We've let it become something that, that's so part of our everyday existence without ever really interrogating how it is that we're using it. And you would never tolerate having a relationship with a person that you treated with such kind of carelessness. For all of us, or I think maybe working in the arts, it's a particularly important part of your job to have a profile and to, to mm -hmm. be kind of active on social media as I've said earlier like it's a massive part of my day every day running a business how do you harness that side of it because it's really easy I think for me to be like oh you know it's fine because I, it's book bars Instagram so like that's work it's okay for me to be addicted to that how do you grapple with that I've actively made this my career like yeah. not by accident I love this stuff and I love the internet and I was the weird kid who was probably more obsessed than some of my friends at school, like learning how to code on MySpace and like being in the computer room. You know, some arty people would be in like the dark room doing their photos. I was just on my, the computer and everyone else was probably outside. Like I, well, I did have a real obsession with it and still do and started my blog and that kind of took off. And when I really look back at my career, it feels kind of strange looking back because it feels like dinosaur years when certain things were popular and now they're not anymore. And you try it all on and then see what sticks. And then now it's great to put everything into books and and write and spend more time offline, which has been really, really good. But I think I'm happy with having it as my career and it's a part of me and it's not all of me. Mm. A lot of people don't really know much about me, really. Not really. Like that, like they know about my books and they know about the things I'm interested in. The podcast is about three of my favorite topics, which is like creativity, well-being and What's the other one? Business and social media. Mm. But I don't really talk about my personal life much, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I like that. And I think people should be empowered to know that, you know, it. I could be classed as an influencer in some ways sometimes, but you, that doesn't mean you have to put your life on a plate or feel really vulnerable. Um, you can be really empowering to be like, you can get this part of me and I can put it out there and, and enjoy it. Yeah, and that's the part of you that that... That, that's okay for you, for you to kind of share because then you have you've you've kept something for yourself and maybe yeah. that's maybe that's what it is is that if you're putting yourself out there it is about keeping something for yourself because that's that's yours I yeah. Don't, yeah and I think we're allowed to have things that are just ours and I think that's why it can be difficult though trying to be the whole do the whole personal brand thing because we feel like we want people to like see us and like really see us and we don't want to be misunderstood and we want people to understand what we're saying all the time but sometimes we can't through a screen that sometimes that doesn't happen there's sometimes there's no context or people get the wrong end of the stick and I've really made peace with people misunderstanding me sometimes it happens 
So, and also people think about you what they want to think about you. You can't control the narrative of your own self. No. Like it's like, okay, I'm going to put myself out there because I get asked this all the time. Like, how do you put yourself out there? And you have to make peace with people not getting it, people not liking it, yeah. um, people projecting themselves onto you, people, you know, pe- you're literally putting yourself out to the whole of the internet. Like it is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like one tweet could be taken a billion ways. There's a lot of people on the internet. Yeah. There's, a lot of pe- there's a lot of different people, different backgrounds and different opinions. So you really have to know yourself, I think, and just say, here's my slice of the pie. Yeah. And I'll find my people. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And if something's taken the wrong way, instead of exacerbating it by getting sort of defensive or whatever it might be, actually just going, okay, that's how they've chosen to see that. And I don't think that's true, but I know that that's okay. All of us really, when it comes like urgency, when it comes to thinking we have to reply straight away, because that's that can be a real downfall. If you reply to something that's riled you up in within two seconds, that reply is not going to be good. And you're not going to come across very intelligent because <laughs> yeah. you're, you're coming from a place of just like, I'm right and you're wrong. And so in the book, actually, one of the prompts is taking a pause. And so, um, you know, if you are about to send an, send an email to your boss, um, do it, do it in the morning or like wait a day, wait 24 hours. I'm not very good at this. I try to do this. I've really tried hard mm. to do this. Um, sleep on it. And, it, yeah. that, and that's uh, I think that could be applied to social media as well. Definitely, definitely. Because you also just might feel completely different. Like it might, it's not, it might not even be about how eloquent you are. It actually just might be that you decide that that email, you're like, why would I have sent yes. that email? With the theme of being a human in an online world, I wanted to cover how productivity culture is not very human because mm. um, what's that really cheesy quote that I love about how f- a flower doesn't bloom all year round and we're all flowers and we don't bloom. We, you know, we have, we're not machines either. So we don't, we're not always on. There's not like an on button and off button. It's like we, we burn out. Um, I know now my patterns. Like I know that every three months I'm just like a shell of my former self. I need to kind of do something to get myself back to normal. Um, and so I talk a bit about that, about how it's, it's become quite crazy. The amount that we can do has changed so much over the last few decades. And I think I quote an old study from back in the day where housewives who got a new Hoover um, thought that they would like be able to read because they could yes. hoover, they, they could clean up. more quickly and yeah. then go and read when actually they just hoovered like more and more and more all day long. Um, so I think we think we're going to get downtime because we're like more productive. But the, the catch is we're just we're just more productive and we're just doing more. Yeah. And we never sit down and do the thing. Um, so, yeah, there's stuff in the book around that and how to make time for that and being kinder to yourself and switching off you know um oliver berkman's book the four thousand weeks which is incredible Mm. um you must get it everyone because it's so good it basically says time is sort of a construct that we make up in our heads and a to-do list you can't basically get your like get your to-do list kind of in a net and like capture it and do it it will always carry on yeah and that sounds really depressing but what he's saying is if you shut your laptop at 4 p.m you, you can probably do a lot of it tomorrow, but we think we can just like nail the day. You can't nail the day because yeah. it's always going to be something you could have done. Yeah. So he's just saying it's all a bit made up and we can just go easier on ourselves. And I love that. Yeah, ag- agreed. And that like, actually, we do have finite time, um, but that finite time isn't about kind of how much we can produce or churn out. Um, it's about actually like doing the things that really make us happy which sounds really again all Mm. these things sound really cringy but they're just like 
good they are true. Like, like yeah and also you know in defense of the to-do list i love crossing out a to-do list oh, nothing I more satisfying i just oh my god notebooks are just heaven to me and i love getting stuff done but yeah there has to be a balance and it is cheesy but on like the, your deathbed i don't think you're going to be like oh my to-do list really <laughs> 